This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. This morning, I want to consider the message of the Christmas story by introducing you to some Bible characters that we don't often associate with Christmas. But I think that we'll find that their stories really pave the way in a unique way for the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, and in the way I'm going to share it this morning, some imagination is necessarily involved, uh, but I've done my best to stay true to the words of Scripture and only to use imagination as an aid in drawing our attention to the Bible's message. I am Adam. It really is impossible to describe to you what it was like to live in a paradise designed by God, a garden planted by God himself. There's still beauty in this world, but I find that anything that I can coax from the ground now is just a, a poor imitation of what surrounded Eve and I in that wonderful place. But as you probably know, we lost it. At the time, I blamed my wife, and she blamed the serpent. But the truth is, the sin was mine. I could have stopped it. I could have said no, but I didn't. And immediately after that sin, I felt something I can only describe as utter despair. We had something beautiful, something perfect, and now it was broken. We were broken. And God came to the garden and talked to us, and it was not a pleasant conversation for me. It pained me so deeply to hear him say, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. I've come to know the agonizing reality of that curse. I feel it even now as I feel my body growing older. But even in God's pronouncement of bitter judgment, there was a glimmer of hope, a promise. He told us that there, on that very day, war was being declared. War between us and the serpent. But God himself told that serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There was pain in my hope, but after that promise, I had hope. We would have a son. And not just a son, but a son who would take up the sword for us against our new arch enemy, that serpent. A son who would strike him down, who would win that bitter war begun by Eve and by me. After our sin, we were forced out of the garden, and immediately life began to feel like war. Everything was hard. We were tempted with evil every single day. And the harder we fought, the less we seemed to be able to fight. The serpent, it seemed, 
had the upper hand. And I eagerly anticipated the birth of our son, the son who would defeat our enemy, who would deliver us. And then there he was, Cain. We had our man from the Lord, our warrior. And then we had another son. We called him Abel. And as our sons grew to manhood, I eagerly awaited the day when one of them would defeat that serpent once and for all. I thought for sure it would be Cain. But there was strength in him. He seemed to have a warrior's blood in his veins. One day, one day he would crush that serpent and we would be set free. But a dark day came. I've only known one other day as dark as that day. And when that dark day came, I knew again crushing despair of hope destroyed, of joy ripped away. My son Cain had indeed become a warrior. But he was waging war, not against our common enemy, but against his own brother. The sting of death. Now, how could Cain be the promised son? How could a cold-blooded murderer be the object of our hope? What now? If Cain were not the son for which we waited, when would he come? We had another son, Seth. My wife called him a substitute. She held out hope that he would be the promised son, the one who would bring victory. But I don't know. I don't think so. I have seen now my great, 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 great grandson. I love my grandsons and their grandsons, but none has arisen as a champion for us against our enemy. Still, we live in a world that's warped by sin, infected by the serpent. Truth be told, it's only getting worse. Still, I have hope. I don't know when, but I know that sun will come. I am Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. I can't tell you how many times my grandfather told us the story. Who wouldn't? God, him, God himself spoke to Grandpa Abraham. God told him that he would bless all families of the earth through my grandfather. He told him that he would become a mighty nation. That promise guided my grandpa's life from that point on. But, my grandpa would always tell us, the story doesn't end there. See, years went by, and not only had grandfather Abraham failed to become a mighty nation, he and grandma had failed to have even one child. We were tempted to give up hope, my grandpa would say, but we had no reason to doubt God's promise. So God appears to my grandpa again, and he tells my grandfather that he is going to give them a child. Despite their old age, God is going to give them a son. And grandpa would always quote this part. He would say, do you know what God told me? He said, look now toward heaven. 
and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said to me, so shall thy seed be. God was indeed going to fulfill his promise. He was going to make grandma and grandpa into a mighty nation. He was going to bless all the tribes of earth through the son of Abraham. And grandpa eagerly anticipated the birth of that son. Isaac, my dad, was born. They were so excited. They knew something big was going to happen that would turn their little family into a worldwide influence, a source of universal blessing. All their hopes were tied up in their little son, Isaac. But how could a son not become a disappointment with that sort of expectation placed on him? I loved my dad, but he was far from perfect. I don't know how long it took before grandma and grandpa realized that Isaac wasn't perfect, but he wasn't a model son, and he certainly wasn't a model father. Still, the promise lived on, and my father pinned his hopes on my twin brother Esau. Esau is a strong guy. He's a man's man, a good hunter, a hard worker, and dad liked to see that. And so he saw him becoming the man who would rule, someone who would conquer the ground and make it do what he wanted, someone who would overcome nations and bend them to his will. My dad thought Esau would bring the fulfillment of God's promise. My mom, Rebecca, thought it would be me. She thought I was the one worthy of investment, the one who would bring our family to prominence. She taught me diplomacy, manipulation, how to get what I want out of other people. She watched me swindle my brother out of his inheritance. She helped me fool my own father into giving me the blessing that was rightly my brother's. She saw a lot of potential in me. But I can see now that both of my parents were wrong. How could either I or Esau have shoulders strong enough to bear the hopes of all our people? Now I have had sons of my own. Joseph was my favorite. I found myself beginning to favor him, thinking maybe he will be the son we've waited for, the, the one who will make us into a great nation that will change the world. And then yesterday, I was sitting in my tent when my sons came crowding in, dirty, sweaty, breathless. They were back from the field sooner than I expected, and I knew something was wrong. And then I saw it, my son Joseph's special coat. It was ripped, covered in blood, and instantly my heart was crushed. And I knew in that moment that my son was dead. The object of my hope was gone. I was so sure, but my good, pure son was gone. Before he even had a chance to live, my favored son is gone. What of God's promise now? But coming to my mind today is something my grandfather Abraham would always say. He would gather us together, lean in close, and tell us, remember this. 
if God makes a promise, you can trust that promise. Despite it all, still I have hope. I don't know when, but I know that sun will come. I am Solomon. When guests and dignitaries come to Jerusalem, they have much to say, much to compliment, but they can't seem to say enough about the temple. They praise me. They congratulate me on overseeing such a magnificent building project. And I used to thank them smugly, patting myself on the back for such a worthy accomplishment. But age and experience have taught me many things. Now, when my guests praise the temple, I'm quick to tell them that the real credit for the beautiful complex goes not to me, but to my father, David. It was my father's dream, my father's vision, to build a beautiful house for God. He told me this story so many times. He, he didn't want that dream to die. He told me about the day that he decides he's going to build a house for God. And he's so excited, almost immediately he begins to picture it in his mind, to think through the logistics of getting all the materials and the precious metals that he'll need for such a solemn project. But then the next day, the prophet Nathan comes to him and tells him that God is putting a stop to the work before it even begins. God tells my father that it will not be him who will build the house. God says my dad will have a son who will build the house. But he goes on. God also tells my father that God himself will establish the throne of my dad's kingdom. That my father's kingdom will be established forever through the promised son. And my father eagerly anticipated the birth of that son. And along came me. And God made it clear to my dad that I would be the son who would sit on the throne. I would be the son who would build that house for God. My father had such high hopes for me and, and my kingdom. And so did I. And for a while, it seemed like all those hopes were coming true. The kingdom was growing in wealth, in peace, in international influence. I oversaw the construction of that house for God, and it is truly magnificent. Nothing could be truly worthy of God, but that temple certainly evokes some of the, the awe and the wonder, the holiness of God. But me, I've certainly not lived up to my father's expectations. I'm the one who has brought idol worship into the land. I'm the one who's disobeyed the express commands of God by amassing enormous wealth, a big army, and hundreds of wives. Sometimes it feels like I have loved and sought after everything in the world except the God who truly deserves to be loved and sought after. I'm not just a mediocre king. I don't deserve to be the king at all. I remember when my son was born. I eagerly anticipated his birth. 
Back when Rehoboam was born, I imagined him taking the reins of the nation and leading it on to ever greater and greater levels of glory and prominence. I've tried to instruct him in the ways of God, to impart wisdom to his young mind. But now I see the truth. My sins have poisoned my nation. And they've poisoned my son. God has promised me that because of my sin, my foolish idolatry and disobedience, he is going to tear the kingdom away. During my son's reign, God is going to rip the kingdom from him, leaving only one of the 12 tribes under his rule. Yes, I built the temple, but I could never be the son who would fulfill all of God's glorious promise. Instead of establishing the kingdom forever, I've paved the way for its destruction. And all I, I see all too clearly now that my son Rehoboam will never be that son either. Still, I have hope. I don't know when, but I know that son will come. Have you ever considered the disappointed hope of Adam and Eve when their firstborn turned out to be a rebellious murderer? Have you ever considered the disappointed hope of Abraham and Isaac when their sons turned out to be just as fleshly and imperfect as they were? Have you ever considered the disappointed hope of the nation of Israel as they came to realize that King Rehoboam, instead of strengthening an eternal kingdom, would actually drive a wedge between north and south and begin to fracture the nation of Israel. What's amazing to me is that despite all those disappointed hopes, there were those who held on to God's promises. Hebrews 11.13 says of the patriarchs, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. But with centuries, millennia of disappointed hope, is it any wonder that so many people in the Christmas story seem so incredulous that these promises could really finally be coming true? When the angel comes to Mary in Luke 1, she's fearful and she questions how such a thing could be that she would carry the promised son of God. But I want to draw your attention to the angel's words in Luke chapter 1. Specifically verses 30 through 33. This angel appears to this young woman, Mary, and tells her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, consider with me, those are familiar verses to many of us, but consider how much is wrapped up in that promise. Think back to Adam. He anticipated a son who would do what? A son who would be a warrior, who would battle with the enemy Satan, 
who would defeat him and who would save them out of their bondage. All this time, people have been living in slavery to their own sin, indentured servants to the enemy, powerless to defeat him, powerless to break the chains of their own sin, powerless to do anything towards winning that battle. They need a champion who can do battle and who can deliver them. And what did the angel tell Mary would be the name of her son? Jesus. A name that means Jehovah saves, or the Lord is salvation. In Matthew 1, when the angel appears to Joseph there, he explains why the baby will be called Jesus. He says that the son's name will be Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So this son is going to be the one who will deliver the people from sin. This son is the one who was promised to Adam and Eve, who's going to crush the head of the serpent. This is the warrior that they so eagerly anticipated. This is the savior. But what else did the angel tell Mary? Well, in verse 33, he says, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So what about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? They anticipated a son who would do what? Well, who would make them into a mighty nation. And a son who would make their family into a blessing that would affect all the, all the families of the earth. The nation of Israel has been battling for its very existence, and many people have been content to pretend the little nation doesn't even exist. But this son, this son will reign over Jacob's house forever. All the nations of the earth will sit up and take notice of this son. He will be a source of blessing that will spread to all the tribes of earth. Remember what Mary said in her Magnificat, her song of praise to God? She says, Behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Why? Because through her is coming the blessing for all generations. Yes, Isaac was promised to Abraham. But this son, Jesus is the one who will be the source of blessing to all the earth. This is the son that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob so eagerly anticipated. But that's not all. What else did the angel tell Mary? Well, verse 32, He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So David and Solomon anticipated an heir who would do what? Well, who would establish an everlasting kingdom that would never lose its power and glory. But by the time we get to Matthew and Luke, there is no Israelite kingdom anymore. There is no true king from the line of David that's sitting on the throne. But this son will establish a new kingdom will sit anew on the throne of David, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And this angel is telling Mary, you are going to bear the son who will crush the head of the serpent, who will bless the families of all the earth, 
and who will reign forever and ever. And that son, who you've all been waiting for for so long, he's coming, and he's going to be called the son of the highest, and he's going to be called your son. Finally, there is a son who is worthy of bearing the hopes and fears of all the years. All of those hopes are met together in this little baby, the promised son of God. So the message this morning is a call to hope. Hope is in high demand and in short supply in our world. Because in order for hope to be valid, in order for hope to last, the object of our hope has to be unmoving. People tie their hope to all sorts of things and people. Many people set their hope in the next generation, sure that those who are coming up behind us will set things right. They'll, they'll right the wrongs of our warped world. They'll succeed where we have failed. But how could such hope not be disappointed when our children and our grandchildren are weak, imperfect sinners just like us? Some people set their hope in technology, in science, in politics, even in theology. But though God's truth is not flawed, all areas of human knowledge and development are just as fallible as the people who are studying and learning and developing them. There is really only one object of hope that will never disappoint, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He will never fail. He will faithfully fulfill every promise. He will not let anything slip through his fingers. He's the savior and the blessing and the king forever and ever. In 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul opens his letter with these words. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Through Jesus Christ, we can have new life, and along with his life in us, we can have a living hope. In our time, we have a unique opportunity. We're living in what the Bible calls the last days, the period of time after Christ's ascension and before his return. And we get in this time the privilege of looking back at the incarnation of Jesus to set our hope in him as the savior of the world, even as we also look forward to his return and set our hope in him as the eternal king who will once and for all establish his everlasting kingdom. Christ is the fulfillment of the promises made to Adam and Abraham and David. He is the fulfillment of God's promises to us. 
He is unshakable and immovable, unchanging, completely trustworthy. He is the one in whom we can have a hope that is sure and steadfast. A hope that Hebrews 6 tells us is as an anchor of the soul. So I encourage you, I plead with you this morning to set your hope in him. Perhaps today is exceptional for you. Uh, you're here in the service or watching on live stream, and you don't come to church very often. I want to speak to you for just a moment. Do you have doubts about all of this? Well, I encourage you to read the Bible. Consider the claims of Christ. Dare to honestly ask the question, is this all true? Is Christ really the King and the Savior? Is he really the key to it all? Is he really the source of meaning, the reason that life can matter? I encourage you to honestly ask those questions, to consider his claims. And if we can help you in any way in that search, please let us know. Perhaps today you find that you believe in Christ. You don't doubt the reality of the claims that we've considered this morning, but you still find yourself lacking hope. You feel unanchored. Maybe you've suffered some disappointment of your hope, some area where you've been let down. Your expectations have been dashed. And I understand that pain can run really deep. All I can tell you this morning is to turn from whatever has become the object of your hope, of your faith, and turn back to Jesus. It might not be an easy thing, but there's a wonderfully refreshing simplicity about it all. All other objects will disappoint your hope, but never Jesus. A hope that is truly settled in him is inexhaustible and it's unshakable. Our hope is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And what better truth is there for us to take with us into this Christmas holiday. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the unexpected but perfect way that he fulfilled so many promises. Thank you for the, confident we can the confidence we can have that he will fulfill all of the promises. Thank you for the chance that we have to hope in something that is steadfast, unmovable. And Lord, I pray this morning for your work in all of our hearts. For those who have never found hope in Christ, to help them to turn to you today, to find your truth, to find Christ, to be all that he says he is. And may they come to him and receive him as Savior. And Lord, I pray for Christians this morning. I know that even though we know you, we can struggle to maintain our hope. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning who needs to 
spend some time with you turning back to Jesus Christ. Lord, may the pain, the disappointment, be a blessing because it drives them to Jesus. Lord, help us all. Whether we come this morning in joy or sorrow, to all look to Jesus Christ and set our hope in him. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.